right, welcome back to episode six of the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Ashley. I'm Emily. And we have a really fun interview today, and it's a pretty long one, so let's just go ahead and get into it. Alrighty, so now we're going to get into our interview with a registered dietitian today, and she is going to introduce herself, and we're going to be talking all about diet culture, wellness culture, uh, different types of diets that I'm sure many of us have tried throughout our lifetime. But before we get into all of that, Brittany, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your areas of expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Brittany Worley. I am a registered dietitian. I'm based out of the Dallas, Texas area. Um, and I have a, like a specialty in sports. So that's kind of where I started my career. I went through collegiate athletics and some um, like private performance center type of places where athletes would come and train individually. And that setting is actually where I got really, really interested in um, what I'm in now, which is more of that disordered eating space, working with athletes and active women who, you know, have eating disorders or a history of dieting. Like I started to just see those things showing up in like such young athletes and active females that I was working with that I really like went all the way down the rabbit hole of learning about, you know, the risk factors and new ways to approach nutrition to help prevent those kinds of things from happening. And that's where I got like super passionate and ended up starting my own business because I just wanted to make sure that I could practice in a way that felt really good and and beneficial um, for me and for my my clients. So it's kind of how I landed here. Yeah, awesome. And you're also a cycle instructor, right? Yeah, yeah. So I started, I taught three classes um, before COVID happened and everything shut down. So I had just passed, I taught a few classes, and then I had to teach from our one bedroom apartment for a little while. But yeah, I, um, I teach for Cycle Bar in this area. I'm also going to start teaching for a second studio. Um, but I love that. And that really like, I had already gone pretty far on my own journey with like, what do I want exercise to look like now that dieting is way behind me? But when I found cycle, it like further, like it took me even further down that path, which I'm so grateful for. So I love getting to share that with people too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know we talked about, I'm a cycle instructor yeah. too. So I'm sure I could definitely get some yeah. tips from you as well with, I mean, I've only been doing it for like four or five Back months at now, I think. <laughs> yeah. So we can learn from each other. <laughs> Yeah. And it, that's something I really love. Like I, when I went all in on my business, I had thought about like, do I need to take a break from cycling just because you, you probably know Ashley and M, you know, too, like both of those jobs, right. Um, more of the counseling and the client stuff, and then showing up for people energetically in a fitness class, they both require so much emotional energy. And I almost mm -hmm. thought about tabling cycling. And I was like, I cannot, it is too much fun. It, it complements my other work too well. So yeah, we'll have to like, talk more offline about it too because I love it <laughs> yeah it really is like it's almost like you're putting on a different hat when you go in to start instructing because like you have to be peppy you have to be on totally energetic like even if I don't want to work out and I have to go teach people cycle cycle is not one of those things that you can if you're instructing it you can like pretend to no. half-ass it or anything like people can tell if you're not going as hard as they are so mm -hmm. truly every workout is so so tough and it's underestimatedly hard like to talk while you're teaching too i burn like 200 yep. extra calories just from talking <laughs> while i'm teaching oh i believe it yeah my i remember when i was a baby instructor my feedback was always like hey you gotta make sure you can still speak <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, would get, I would get so into it and I was like, I'm having so much fun. And like you said, you want to be in it with them and like you want them to see you're working just as hard. So, yeah, right. it's, it's so fun, but it does require a lot of you. So, yeah, I'm like, um, let me just yeah. turn this dial, the gear down. Maybe no one else will notice, oh. but just so I can work with a little bit less resistance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've I've been there for sure to pivot into our first uh, topic, we really want to talk about just what diet culture is, how it shows up in active women in sports, and even just um, on things like social media, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a great place to start. Um, diet culture, I mean, you can find, you know, a million and one definitions for it. But at the core, really, it's, it's a rigid set, right, of expectations that values thinness or conventional markers of what's considered attractive over health, whether that be physical or mental, emotional health, whatever. We're not concerned with that with diet culture. We're really just looking at that exterior piece. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, like the diet industry has gotten smart over the years, right? They pay attention to the market and what people are wanting and doing. And so diet culture has like really started to shift. Um, I would say even since I've been in the field, which is like a little over five years, but I'm sure it started prior as well, where it's starting to merge more with wellness culture, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of times now the message we're hearing is, well, it isn't just about what you look like, but we're still being sold that message by people who fit that conventional look, right? So it's really hard to um, to separate wellness culture and diet culture now. So I've kind of like started to lump them together when I speak about them. And um, the reason it's so tricky, right, is there are so many different ways to define health that don't have a look, but we're so used to that being in the water that we're in and hearing those messages, either direct ones or indirect ones, that we start to judge ourselves against this like impossible standard. Um, I have so many clients that come to me and they're like, oh, I just want to be healthy. And I'm like, well, how's your sleep and how's your digestion? And are you moving regularly? And like, all their answers are great. And I'm like, what makes you think you're not healthy? And it's yeah. literally just, you know, oh, I don't, you know, I don't start my day with athletic greens or a green juice. Yeah. I don't look like X, Y, Z, like, I'm like it's become such an aesthetic thing now, you know? So mm -hmm. it's tricky. Um, and I know that's just, one like that's just the tip of the iceberg right but that's really what we're kind of thinking about when we um as clinicians or as people in the space refer to diet and wellness culture so so yeah that's kind of step one is understanding it yeah and i think that's so big on social media now is there mm -hmm. is such a blur between the two and yeah with so many fad diets especially for women i think like we started seeing wellness culture and diet culture back in I mean, I can only speak for myself, but like the nineties, seeing our moms do like slim fast or mm -hmm. the Atkins diet or whatever mm -hmm. the popular ones at, were at the time. And now we have mm -hmm. paleo, whole 30, uh, you know, like 75 hard, all these different challenges yeah. that get circulated around social media. And sometimes I see this stuff online and being a little bit more educated now, I'm like, I know that's not healthy. I know that that's not well-rounded and we're not getting all the energy right. that we need but i think that especially as women we're so susceptible to that type of marketing and then seeing that you know the standard type body like the kardashian body or hadid body that we see on social media is like the ideal which is so unattainable for like 99 percent of people mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, it's unattainable for the people who are the standard setters too, right? Like we've yeah. all seen some posts, some sort of level of exposure around Photoshopping and face tuning and all that. So like one, the people we look at aren't even truly looking like that in real life. And then two, I love to think like, even when you just said um, like slim fast and Weight Watchers, like think about the things that are maybe moms were on like the generation previous to us they were following all these things that even the the name of the program was about like the smallest body possible and we saw that in society like kate mosses and all that that was like the look and then as we've shifted into like the 2010s and the 2020s none of those popular diets have like slim or small or whatever in the word anymore they're shifting more towards well we care about your health but we also want you to think that maybe you'll look like kim if you do this right, right? so it's just weird how it's become there's still a lot of the same roots but it's become sneakier and it's kind of changed the way it looks mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so yeah and it's, it's crazy because I can't remember the exact number. I think it's like 72 billion. I think it's maybe even gone up in the last couple of years, but that's, it's a 72 
billion dollar industry diet culture. So of course we're going to be exposed to it all the time. And, you know, in my work as an eating disorder therapist, it is, I always tell my clients and Bernie, I don't know if you also tell your clients this, but it is so hard to fight diet culture because it's, you're exposed to it all the time. Like it's almost, um, it's almost impossible to not see it in your daily life, right? Even though you could be off social media like Ashley, it's still so present in like commercials, right? If you're just watching yep. TV or conversations with your friends or even overhearing conversations, like it's so prevalent in our lives that mm-hmm. ditching diet culture and trying to heal your relationship with your body and with food can be so, so hard. It's definitely not impossible, of course, but it can just be no. so challenging. And so our last episode was on compassion, self-compassion, and that's so mm-hmm. important for when you're navigating this relationship with food and body image and trying to ditch diet culture and figure out what's healthy for you. Self-compassion is yeah. so important throughout this process. It really is. And I talk I talk to my clients about all that same stuff. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I would say the majority, not all, but the majority of my clients are also seeing a therapist at the same time because this stuff is hard, right? Like right. we are reframing our like identities a lot of times, how we relate to the people in our lives, like, and we're having to do it on a daily basis because like you said, $72 billion means it's all over the place, right? It's not something we stumble across when we end up in the dark corner of Instagram. Like it's on, it's everywhere. So yeah, it's tough. And I think a lot of people don't even notice what disordered eating is exactly. And I don't know if you can define it for us quick, but I'm sure you guys both see it in your professional lives all the time. And people might not even realize that they have, if not a full-blown eating disorder, then you know, kind of like the tendencies of somebody that does have that. Go ahead, Em, if you want to define it, let's like, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's disordered eating can range from so many different types of um, relationships with food, right? Is it is it a is it an eating disorder, right? Like, does it meet the criteria in the DSM to be right. a full eating disorder? Or is it your tendency to um, fluctuate in weight constantly, your tendency to diet, right? Or your tendency to restrict food or your tendency to binge food, right? Like, I don't know, maybe Brittany, you might have a um, exact definition, but I feel like it's just the, um, the restricting or the binging or the dieting or, you know, not eating certain foods or overeating certain foods, right? Like there's so many different types of ways that we can not eat in a way that is intuitive for our bodies and for our our bodies' needs. Um, So that's Mm kind of how I would talk about disordered eating, just basically kind of all over the place with your diet, right? Not really having an idea of what works for you, but trying to kind of eat what diet culture tells us to eat, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I often too, because um, I find when um, I tell clients, you know, or if I use like the diet culture examples, they're like, well, but you know, but, um, I'm eating fats now. Like diet culture would tell me to be low fat. Like they tend to not understand, um, how it can still be disordered, even if it's like healthy mm-hmm. types of eating that they're practicing. And so often what I will explain to clients is, um, I consider disordered eating to be any eating patterns, tendencies, behaviors that cause you some level of distress right? Whether it's physical or mental distress, emotional, whatever, if it's, if it's not sitting right with you and it's a pattern you can't break around eating it, there's likely some level of like a disordered root to it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that tends to capture for my clients, like, oh, so, you know, binging on things can also be disordered eating, even though I thought disordered eating was just like restricting or eating like the, what I eat in a day videos, like, no, it can be in all different areas of the spectrum if it causes you distress. Yeah, and that's a really good so. point too that you brought up because like I think so many people, myself included, don't even know what the your standard diet is supposed to be composed of because in the 90s and early 2000s everything was like you're not supposed to have fat. You know, super low fat everything and now with right. keto is kind of no carbs. And it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to be eating at this point. Like I yeah, can't exactly, have carbs, Ashley. I can't it- have fat. Well, am I just supposed to eat chicken and eggs? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's hard. It's always a moving target, right? Because we've, um, just like the body standards have changed over the years, so has the 
quote unquote healthy eating standard and the trends and like it feels like you can always be chasing sort of like an unknown level of the perfect way to eat um and if you're always feeling like that that likely means your relationship with food is off right if you're feeling like you're never good enough you're always looking for the next best thing um that's a sign too that things aren't aren't great with how you relate to food and how do Absolutely. you see that in your clients with trying to break down like the diet culture? And I know you brought up athletic greens earlier, which is funny because I literally see that in like all the YouTubers that I watch are like, I had my athletic greens this morning. I'm like, am I supposed to order those? Like, am I supposed to have those in the morning? Am I <laughs> <missing> something? <laughs> so um, yeah. do you see that, that kind of theme come up a lot with your clients? Um, yeah, I do see themes of like, I know I could be doing food better, even when they're already hitting all their nutrient needs and all that there's I think it's that sort of particularly like the social media presence that makes us think in other aspects of life too, that we can always be doing better and we should always be pursuing better versus like, this is how I'm eating. This feels good to me. I don't have any health problems. I'm enjoying this. I think I'm good here, right? Like it's, it, we really don't don't allow ourselves or have the breathing room anymore to say, I think I've found my sweet spot and I'm happy here, right? Mm -hmm. We're always trying to do more and level up. And I, should, I shouldn't have directly called out poor Athletic Greens. They, <laughs> they just pumped, I think, a lot of marketing dollars in in January because I've been seeing them like they're on my brain. Like you said, Ashley, I've been seeing them everywhere. So it was the first example that popped up. Um, but any of that stuff, really, like you need a specific product or to follow a specific plan to achieve optimal wellness. Unfortunately, y'all, like that's always going to be a moving target, right? Like what the optimal right, wellness right. is as, as we're sold it. So yeah, it's just, um, it's definitely a theme. It's something we really have to um, oftentimes figure out why they're feeling like it's never good enough. And then my favorite line is, okay, I think we just found some sort of root cause. Go tell your therapist about that when you see them <laughs> next week, right? Like that's right, when I'm yeah. like, M, take it and run with it. Because, <laughs> um, because it is about food to an extent, but it's also about a lot of stuff beneath that usually if we're always searching. Absolutely. And that's so accurate because, <laughs> and when you said that, I was like, yep, right? Identifying what's going on behind the relationship with food. And a lot of times I'll yeah. tell my uh, eating disorder clients or disordered eating clients, like, we're going to talk about food, of course, but we're also going to talk about what's, when did you learn these things, right? Like what was happening yeah. in your life or what have you been through? Unfortunately, a lot of times trauma and eating disorders or disordered eating go hand in hand. So like what happened throughout your life? Like what were the kind of things you were exposed to that led you to have this relationship with food? And how can we work on healing that portion? And of course, healing the relationship with food. But I, again, I think that's why Brittany, like a th therapist and dietitians work so close together because you understand the science behind food, like what works for their body, right? And like, I'm trying to help them understand why do you have this relationship with food? And so, yeah, it's really cool to see how our two um, fields work so closely together when it comes to our relationship with food and body image as well. 100%. I know they complement each other so well, which is why often my clients will be like, well, I don't need a therapist. I have you. And I'm like, no, no, we got to do both, right? We got to, <laughs> we have to attack yeah. it from both angles because mm -hmm. it's so, it's so ingrained in us by the time we get to this place that we really need to attack it from different angles to be able to fully work through it. So. And I think a big is thing, you, you mentioned the distress, which I think is so accurate when it comes to disordered eating is the guilt yeah. and the shame that comes with food and or your body image. And so I think that for me is a big part of why I ditch diet culture and why I'm, you know, I'm trying to help my clients ditch diet culture is because we shouldn't have to navigate these feelings of guilt or shame for literally do, meeting our most basic need of eating food right? Like we cannot exist without food. And so mm -hmm. that's why it's another reason why changing our relationship can be so hard, right? Because we need food, right? It's not that changing your relationship with like drugs or alcohol is easy, but you don't need those things to survive. Whereas food, we do. Again, so that's why, you know, having compassion around your relationship with food is so big. And especially with navigating that guilt and shame. And I'm sure I can imagine at least I should say that you, um, 
in your work, see that guilt and shame come up a lot around, oh, I shouldn't be eating this, or oh gosh, I hate myself for eating that, or just, again, what diet culture has taught us to believe about the things that we're eating or not eating, we should feel guilty or we should feel shameful for those things. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I see that all the time. And, and it's funny, even when, um, you know, women reach out to me and like, they're at the point where they know they need support with it and they know the guilt and shame aren't helpful. They still, um, have trouble not like feeding into it. So for example, what I'm trying to get at here is, um, a lot of my one-on-one clients will do some food journaling when I first am getting to know them. Um, not in the traditional sense of like, you know, measure everything. It's all like picture-based food journaling. Um, And it also asks them questions about their mood and their hunger and fullness and like, you know, kind of their subjective experience. And I have seen so many women omit specific things out of their food journals, even after they've come to me and said like, I need help working through this guilt I have, but I'm so guilty that I'm not even going to log this, right? I'm not even going to show it to you, the person I'm paying to help me through this. So it's, it is, it's such a big undertaking to, to work through those feelings. But like you said, we need food to exist. And so we, at some point have to confront how we're relating to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so maybe we could get in talking a little bit about how do we start to ditch diet culture and wellness culture, just because it's such a, as we've been saying, such a big part of our lives. And so, yeah, maybe we start talking a little bit about just, you know, I know you just said food journaling, which I think is awesome in that Mm -hmm. sense, right? Um, And some other ways that we can start to address our relationship with food or obviously, right, we obviously are promoting reaching out to a dietitian and or therapist um, in healing a relationship, but we wanted to talk a little bit about just some tips and how to start navigating that relationship shift. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, you know, depending on um, what has landed you in the current position of disordered eating or an eating disorder or, um, you know, kind of what your journey's been like, the steps may look a little bit different for everyone or the things that resonate might, you know, vary from person to person. But what I tend to tell my clients is one, we have to be able to define it. We did that at the top of the episode, right? Like we know what it looks like now. Two, we have to understand how it's harmful and then we can start to remove it. And so I think we've gotten to that second piece pretty well, but just understanding, right? Those standards change. They don't, they aren't representative of people with different cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic status, genetics are different. Like there's so many reasons that the diet culture paradigm isn't presenting to you something that's reasonable. So understanding that that can be really harmful. And then to start removing it, I always tell my clients, you have to audit your environment. You have to start working on your own mindset. And then you start to figure out how do I embody all of these things that I have started to learn and implement. And so auditing your environment might look like changing up your social media, right? If you feel uncomfortable unfollowing that friend that does the what I eat in a day videos, maybe you just mute their posts, right? But just starting to clean that up. um, It also can be really, really helpful to not just focus on unfollowing or like removing things from your social media, but also adding people who speak to more of the non-diet space or adding influencers who exist in bodies that look different than yours, like start to expand what you see. Um, And then maybe looking at other things in your environment, like if you have certain friends that are really, really entrenched in their diet still, maybe you're just mindful of how much time you spend with them. Or I spend time with them when I'm feeling like, mentally a little bit less susceptible to this stuff. Maybe you work on like cleaning out your closet. Like I cannot tell you when I finally threw out the pair of shorts I wore in high school that I was like, my body's never going to be this again because that's so silly. I'm 24. Like I remember I felt like a different person when those shorts weren't staring at me from the corner of the closet. Right. So like actively taking some steps to change your environment is fantastic because automatically without even doing day-to-day mindset work, you're already reducing the level of influence the diet culture has on you, right? Um, Then once you've done some of that, working on the mindset, which is where, you know, working with somebody, whether it's a therapist, a dietitian, an intuitive eating coach, whoever it is, like that's where that really comes in. But you want to be able to like name the thoughts you're having, identify where they've come from, and start to 
just assess, is that a true piece of information or is that a constructed piece of information from the diet culture stuff? Like, where is it even coming from and how do I start to reframe it? Um, so I can give a quick example. Um, a lot of times I have clients say, well, I, you know, am not deserving of X, Y, Z because I have no self-control around food. And I'm like, is that true? Or have you just been dieting for so long that biologically your body needs more food and is asking for it in a way that feels like a lack of control, but is really just your body trying to protect you. And, and so maybe the reframe is just, when I feel out of control with food, that's a sign that I probably haven't given my body what it needs. I'll try to do that better tomorrow. We're just, we need to just start building that momentum, right? Um, so I know that was a very long answer, but really it's like, learn how to see it, learn how to see how it's harmful. And then a combination of adjusting your environment and working on your mindset is, is kind of where we have to go. And it's work. It's hard, right? It can take time. Um, but it's, it is so within your capacity. It is. It's just mm -hmm. you have to commit to doing it. So. And are there any specific themes that you found with athletic women or women in sports in particular? Because I can say for myself, like I'm sure as a cycle instructor and somebody that works out a good amount, like I need to eat more calories than probably like the normal person or how I did when I was more having a sedentary lifestyle. And mm -hmm. I don't know, especially on when I see on like Pinterest or what I eat in a day videos, for example, it's mm -hmm. so focused on like weighing out your food, measuring everything out, doing like fasted workouts. And for myself, I don't want to weigh out my food or measured out exactly because I know that's probably going to lead to a little bit more of a disordered eating just you know, knowing my past and knowing myself. So yeah. what kind of specific themes do you see with really active women? Yeah, that's a great question. So with active women or female athletes, a lot of times you're right, they do need just more nutritionally. Um, a lot of times people will think, oh, I'm an athlete, so I might need some more calories than, you know, my friend who's sedentary, maybe some more protein. Like they sort of, it tends to be a pretty narrow view when in reality, like, athletes and active people need quite a lot more of everything, like even the micronutrients, like all across the board, your body just is demanding more fuel in all aspects. Um, what I find with um, especially like the active women that I work with, so maybe they don't self-identify as an athlete, but they are training for a half marathon or they are teaching, you know, eight, 10 cycling classes a week, like they're still putting their body through something very similar to what a traditional athlete might. And yet they feel a lot of guilt and shame around, well, I'm eating more than my partner or than my sibling who's a similar, you know, age to me or my friends when I go out to eat, I'm always the one that eats the most. Um, and I feel like a lot of times those women who are like not sedentary, but not identifying as an athlete and kind of get caught in the middle feel like the athlete nutrition rules don't apply to them right and that's where a lot of their guilt and shame will come from um the other thing that i see a lot is obviously there's a lot of pressure on women in general or e i mean even just anybody any gender gender um there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way um from a societal standpoint but there's an extra layer when your job relies on your body being able to do a certain thing, right? Perform a certain way. So a lot of athletes or fitness professionals, people who are making money off of how their body performs tend to have this extra layer of expectation around, I need to look the part, right? Or people won't come to my cycling class or the coach won't put me on the starting lineup. Like I have to look that way to prove before people even see me do my job that I can do my job. And that is so harmful to like our sense of identity and our relationship to the scale and all of that. I would say it's those two things, comparing your food to the non-athletes in your life and then assuming you have to look a certain way or you're not deserving or, you know, high level enough or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I definitely see that. Like, for example, the other day in one of my cycling classes, this woman mm -hmm. who comes to a lot of my classes throughout the week was like, oh, man, if I'm cycling just as much as you, like, how come I don't weigh 120 pounds? And I was like, girl, yep. 
I don't weigh 120 pounds either. Like take that and add like 40 and I work out right. all the time. And that's just how my body is. You know, I actually haven't been losing weight at all. If anything, I've been gaining probably because muscle. And that's mm -hmm. like, I just totally stopped stepping on the scale because it was like freaking me out. Cause I'm like, thinking oh I'm not losing weight or I'm gaining or I'm getting up higher to where like my starting point was but in reality my body composition is so different from when I started so who's to say I'm not healthy because I I'm a size 12 or something like yeah I have bigger hips that's just my body's just like that and that's fine and I'm healthy yeah and that's that's the hard part right with tying um you're either like the physical outcomes, like the fitness outcomes or the nutrition and health-based outcomes to a look is like, I, you might like be able to get yourself to a body that is smaller and then have worse health outcomes because you're under eating, your hormones have been negatively affected. I mean, I, I could go on for a whole podcast about how that might <laughs> negatively affect your health. Right. And yet if you looked more like that traditional appearance of someone we assume is healthy, like maybe you'd get different comments. I mean, it sounds like you're already getting comments that say people think that about you, right? But it's right. just funny to think about how um, when we place the emphasis on a number or a look, oftentimes we will end up moving further from the health outcomes that we say we're seeking, right? Whether they be physical health outcomes or the mental health outcomes. Um, so you really have to find that that balance for you of, what's enough movement, what's enough nutrition focus where I don't cross a line that is detrimental to my mental or physical health. So mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that was a really good point you brought up as well about comparing yourself to, you know, seeing what your friends eat, for example, or people on the internet. And I think that's a big thing now is we're just exposed to everything everybody's doing for example like i have an apple watch and i share my activity with like 15 people or something and i'll see like oh this friend burned a thousand calories today and i mm -hmm. only burned 600 like i thought i went really hard but apparently not and it's like does that really matter in the grand scheme of things maybe they did a ton of walking or it doesn't mean that they're necessarily any healthier than me so i think it's also just like an over capacity and exposure of seeing all this information all the time. Yep, absolutely. And I think that was to Brittany's point earlier about um, needing to audit your environment and what you're exposed to. Like nobody says we have to share our fitness, um, exercise, whatever on our Apple watches. I know it can be fun, but like if that's not serving you, you don't have to do that anymore. And so I really appreciate it, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying about auditing your environment as being so important in healing your relationship with food um, and your body and especially on social media, but even, you know, the people in your daily life. Like, I think that's so important because, you know, kind of tying in everything that we were just talking about, everybody's bodies, or everyone's body has a different need when it comes to food or when it comes to what, you know, is quote unquote healthy for them. And so I think that's what you were saying, both of you were alluding to this point is that that's why dieting can be so harmful. And I know, Brittany, you said that's another thing you um, help your clients identify is like how it's harmful because, yeah, it can be so harmful if you're comparing yourself to somebody else when your body has a completely different need based on, you know, a million factors, right? Like genetics, how much you're moving, your age, yeah. all these things that affect what your body needs. And so I, I think it'd be great if we could, I know you said you could go on for a whole podcast, but I think it'd be great if we just talk a little bit about how harmful diets can be and how, like you were saying, how they can actually lead us further away from that, actually what health is and what we're, we think we're striving for. It can lead us further away. And I, I definitely see that in my work, like especially in my clients who um, struggle with anorexia and just how malnourished and how many nutrients they're oh, missing. Like sometimes I just start with like, can we just start taking a multivitamin? Because if you're not going to be eating, we need something. We need more vitamins. We need more nutrients. And so, yeah, it, it can definitely take us further away. And, um, I'm sure you see this all the time in your work, Brittany. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we can absolutely talk about that. Um, so the the hardest thing i think to like accept for people who have been 
um, really in diet or wellness culture for a long time or like grew up around parents dieting and whatnot, I think the hardest thing to accept is that diets don't automatically equal being healthy, right? People just assume that if I want to improve my health, I have to go on a specific diet or plan or I have to reduce my caloric intake, whatever it is. Um, when in reality, like we know that diets don't, aren't like the indicator of are you healthier or not, or can you be a healthy person? So um, a couple of things to think about with how our bodies react to dieting just on like the physiological level, and I won't spend too long on the science, even though I totally could. But what we know when we look at studies of um, like acute dieting or like when they used to do like the not super ethical starvation studies and all of that stuff, like what we see is our bodies don't want to be in a deficit of any sort of nutrients. It never creates a positive outcome. And so if we're looking at a deficit in just like total energy or calorie density, right, we're going to see a lot of signs of physiological stress in the body, whether that's stress hormones, changes in thyroid activity, changes in your metabolism, like your metabolic rate. We'll also see your body do a lot of really smart protective mechanisms that try to keep you from putting yourself in a deficit, like increased hunger hormones, decreased fullness hormones, overall dips in like your energy, less drive for exercise. We will see your body say, ooh, I caught what you're doing there. I don't like that. Let's try to correct for this, right? So your yeah. body is going to fight those deficits in the way of secreting different hormones up and down, regulating certain physiological systems. Like it's working overtime to get you out of that deficit that you, that my fitness pal decided you need to be in, right? <laughs> and eventually right. because of those changes, a lot of people, one, yes, sure. They will figure out how to lose some of that weight short term. But because of all those shifts that happen in your body, when you put yourself in a prolonged deficit, almost everyone that diets sees that weight come back. And the mm -hmm. only people I will, I will never forget. I'm going to go on about a 60 second tangent. I will never forget. Um, I was in grad school. I was taking a class on the, a topic about weight that I was, I already knew I wasn't going to love just based on the name of the course. Um, and my professor um, who I think meant well, but was very into the research, decided one day in class to show us this database of everybody who has lost weight and kept it off. We follow up with a survey every year and we ask them questions about how they're doing it. And everyone who maintained their weight loss, every behavior they indicated, well, I shouldn't say every, the behaviors that they self-reported as the reason they were keeping the weight loss off were indicative of eating disorders and disordered eating. It was excessive exercise, like over about an hour a day, I think was the average seven days a week. You know, all these things that I was like, I would not recommend someone who doesn't want to do this to be doing this. And yeah. it just shocked me. So that tangent to say, um, I did not, I did not have a great time with that professor because I was like, <laughs> I don't think we need to be teaching people to have disordered eating habits to no. maintain weight loss, that means that their body is below the weight they wanna be at, right? That's a mm -hmm. sign. So mm -hmm. not great for your body there. Obviously, eventually it's going to fight back and you're going to regain some weight and then you're gonna have to go back into this cycle again. And yeah. what we know is that weight cycling is a huge, huge driver of negative health outcomes. So a lot of the chronic conditions we've been told are related to just a higher than what we consider normal body weight. I'm putting that in air quotes, right? Um, a lot of those chronic diseases are actually really linked to weight cycling. So the I've lost a bunch and then gained a bunch multiple times. So we don't want that for ourselves if health is something we're valuing. We also don't want the increased risk of eating disorder development that comes with dieting. And then the other one that's really hard to explain to people because it's intangible is dieting is going to disconnect you from your body in such a way that if you decide, I think I'm done with dieting now, just getting back to what feels like normal eating is hard yeah. because you've trained yourself to ignore your cues for so long that it's kind of like, how do I eat normally? How do I actually listen to my body? Because I kind of, I put it on mute for a while. Like, and I don't, yeah. I don't know what to do anymore. So it just, it makes sense why people get stuck in it, right? Because you can see from what I'm talking about, 
hopefully how cyclical it is. Right. Um, but there's not a lot of positive outcomes to it, if any. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, sorry for the rant. That oh, one's just like, oh, I told y'all, I, I told y'all we could do a whole episode, but yeah, it's just, no, yeah. it's astounding. <laughs> it is. It is astounding. We, we really appreciate uh, your, those responses because yeah, dieting yeah. can be so harmful. And I think something that I took away from what you were just saying and from diet culture is that we know diets don't work because if they worked, you wouldn't need to go on another one. I saw a yeah. statistic the other day that was said, on average, the average woman will try 126 diets in her lifetime. And I just think that is so sad, right? Like what you were saying about that class you took, like that is so sad that over the years they maintained that, you know, low body weight or whatever it was, but it wasn't through healthy behaviors, right? So if dieting worked, one, it wouldn't be a $72 billion industry because we wouldn't keep coming back to it. And two, we wouldn't need to we wouldn't need to keep doing more diets because we would have found, you know, the one quote unquote that worked. And so, yeah, just really appreciate everything you said. And um, it, all these concepts can be so hard to wrap your mind around. So if you're listening and you're like, what? Right? It can be so hard <laughs> to wrap your mind around the fact that, you know, how diet culture might tell you that bananas are bad for you, right? You might learn that and it's like, wait, I can have a full banana and that's okay. Like, it's just, it's such a complex, um, diet culture is so complex. And so, yeah, if you're listening and you're like, okay, that sounds really confusing. It's because it can be, because we're going against what we were taught for most of our life. So this it's, it's a journey for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad that you gave kind of some space for that and like acknowledged that because it is once you start like pulling at those threads of what you thought diet and health and all that was about and you realize that it actually can be very much the opposite um it's overwhelming for some people um and that's where again like just starting to expand where you learn things from and the environment like the more you can diversify that the less crazy we will we will probably sound um <laughs> if we currently sound crazy because it just takes repeat exposure because you've built the diet mindset you have based on excessive repeat exposure. So you have to start right. to counter it somewhere. So yeah, it's, I remember when I first heard about intuitive eating and health at every size and all that. And I was just like, one mind blown. And then two, <laughs> okay, I have, I have a lot of fact checking to do because this goes against what I believed for, you know, 20 years. So yep. yeah, it's wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. And can you tell us when you first start working with a dietitian or say, if I were interested in working with you, what kind of does like the first couple sessions look like? And are you like giving people exact um, like recipes to follow or what to eat in a day or just setting those macros that they need? Or can you just delve into that a little bit more? Because I think a lot of people, honestly, myself included, don't really know exactly what registered dietitians do, like if you were to hire one. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for giving me the space to explain what we do, because a lot of times people <laughs> people do right. They have they have a very specific idea, if any at all, about what working with us looks like. And especially when you work with, you know, a non diet or intuitive eating like framework kind of dietitian, you are going to get a different experience than what you might see in like a movie or whatever. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever made a movie about dietitians, but you know what I mean? <laughs> well, so, I did see Super so Size Me say, the other day and they had a dietitian on there. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Y'all, if you need, um, if that even intrigued you a little bit, Maintenance Phase is a fantastic podcast that- um, I love that podcast. Uh, it's so good. And they just did a Super Size Me episode and it was- Fantastic. So, so yeah. Um, but so the way that uh, working with me looks like for most of my clients is um, obviously it's going to be different if we are working with someone who has a diagnosed eating disorder and like some more severe uh, malnutrition related like health things that we have to work through. In that case, there absolutely might be a meal plan involved, right? If we have um, weight restoration, if we have um, like they have altered you know, heart or other like organ functions, then yeah, we're going to need some things on paper that guarantee that their eating disorder is not making the food decisions anymore and that somebody with the right background is. But with somebody who isn't facing malnutrition or any extreme like health conditions that are related to their food, a lot of the times the way that working with me starts off is 
I ask you questions that you're surprised by, like, what do you like to eat? Um, what's your eating environment like? Um, what types of emotions do you have around certain foods, if any? Like, I'm really trying to understand your like lived experience with food more than I am how much vitamin D are you getting, right? We'll get to that. <laughs> um, but I really want to be able to help my clients from more of a like a lifelong, very like holistic, subjective place instead of I'm the dietitian and I went to school for this and I can calculate your calories and here you go. Like that doesn't feel good to me. And it also doesn't, it might satisfy a client in the immediate, like in the acute, right? But it's not actually what you need long-term if you're coming to me for stress around food, um, like embarrassment with food, you know, shame-based eating, like that's not what you need long-term. It might feel really comforting for a minute to know what your estimated calories are or to be given a plan, but it's not going to fix anything other than I don't know what to eat today. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's sorry. Em, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, when you were saying that, you pretty much just described dieting in a nutshell is that it can provide you comfort in the short term, but it's not actually what you need in the long term. And so I love how you um, identified what you do with your clients in the beginning might like satisfy in the short term, but in the long term, it's not actually what they need. And that's that's also dieting, right? It might feel good to get some control and it might feel good to you know lose some weight if that's what you're searching for in the beginning, but in the long run it's not going to work. And so I didn't mean to cut you off. I just got excited when you said that because I was like, oh, there's a diet culture connection with, um, you know, in there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's um, It makes sense that people message me or reach out to me and say, you know, do you write meal plans or do you, um, can I, you know, can I buy one session with you or all things that are very much that quick fix mindset. Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense that that is um, what they're, picturing they're going to get or what they're wanting initially because I don't know anything else right like that's what we think taking care of our nutrition is we think it's a diet and yeah. if if I want their experience to be any different with me like then we have to operate differently and so yeah de there's definitely times where um very specific guidelines are needed um mm -hmm. but even with my like more high level athletes who have like pretty um, like intense nutrition needs, it's rare that I'll actually write them something. I may say, I'm going to look at your food journals and then I'm going to suggest, you know, these kind of specific additions, but it's very rare that I give anyone a full day or week of eating unless it's really like severe eating disorder cases. So would you say the point that you guys brought up was really interesting with diet culture. It kind of sounds like dieting could be a little bit of a coping mechanism. Does that sound right? <laughs> Brittany's clapping her hands. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, for those of y'all that can't see me, I'm clapping. I mean, M can probably speak to that way more than I can, but 100% agree with that. Yes, Ashley, you are on to something good. Because <laughs> we, we, we think we can control our bodies more than we actually can. And so sometimes when, especially right now, like, gosh, everything's so crazy in the world, it makes sense that we might want to gain a little bit con of control over our environment. But the really sad thing is that trying to control your relationship with food or your body to that extreme actually leads you to feel more out of control, which is why healing your relationship with food and your body is so, so important because it actually can lead to having a real genuine sense of control around your relationship with food and body work, you know, and that control where it's not like Ashley was saying, like measuring your food to an exact T, right? That the kind of thing we think is us control actually doesn't. Yeah. Well, and that's the way you phrase that is great. And it made me think of something that I've told, I've given like an example to my clients before of, this is a kind of like recent example, but um, like absolutely right. Uh, deciding you're going to track your macros or you're going to follow this specific plan or you're going to, you know, do whatever it is, this regimen it can give you some sense of control initially and feel really great. And then eventually you have that rebound from either the mental or the physical side of like, whoa, we can't keep doing this. Um, and then you're like, what do I even, what do I even do now? Right? Like if I can't control this, then what am I supposed to do? And I, um, I always give my clients the example of like, you can't control like situations in life. And there are certain situations in life where 
you won't be able to keep controlling your food to get through it. Some you can, right? But um, we moved this summer and we were doing construction on our house for almost a month before we moved into it. And we had also gotten a puppy at the exact same time because we're crazy people. We actually <laughs> didn't, we didn't plan it like that. It just ended up happening. And I will tell a lot of my clients, like there was about a month there where I had zero control over food other than which restaurant would I like to go to today? Like we had no, there was no like semblance of routine. And if that had happened to me five or six or seven years ago, I would have spiraled, right? And you can't control that a time in your life like that is gonna come up. So if you're using food as your coping mechanism, it's only a matter of time before it's gonna kind of fall apart on you, right? You won't be able to control it forever. So I just remember thinking during that month, like, wow, if 22 year old me was in this situation with food, it would be making everything worse, not better. Like, I'm so glad I was past that by the time we went through that month with like no kitchen. <laughs> so, yeah. And I feel yeah. like that's really important too, especially, I mean, obviously the world has been crazy the last couple of years and a lot of our audience is kind of like that mid twenties. So people are constantly moving. Uh, don't, like mm -hmm. you said, if you don't have a kitchen, what are you supposed to do? Like you have to eat. And that's kind of my mm -hmm. thing is, especially since I travel a good bit, I'm like, okay, I could either get fast food or I could not eat. I'm not going to shame myself. I'm going to get McDonald's because I have to have food in my body. I'm not like, I'm not going to yeah. starve myself. And there was a point where if I was hungry and there was nowhere healthy, quote, healthy to stop or a grocery store to stop at, I just want to eat, which is so dangerous and so bad for mm -hmm. your body. Yeah. And so again, that just goes back to like, it felt like you had food under control, but really it was only controlled in very specific settings. And it was hindering you in a lot of other areas or situations. Like it's just, it's tricky to see it when you're in it, but that's, that's really what it turns into for people. Right. It, it's so tricky. And I, I, you know, I want to make space for if you're, you know, if any of the behaviors that we mentioned or any of the mindsets that we talked about, if you're in that right now, like do not feel bad because it is such a tricky relationship. And like we said, diet culture is $72 billion. So we're constantly exposed to it. So there was, you know, no shame if that, if any of those behaviors or mindsets that we talked about that you're in right now, like we, I think each of us have our own journeys with um, food and body. So we have so much compassion if you're in that phase and we want, you know, to be able to make space for, um, any all and any and all talk around bodies and diets and wellness and food and so like I said if anything um you're like oh shoot I do that or oh no maybe my relationship with food or my body isn't great it, it is okay to be in that space and that's why we're we're pro reaching out to therapists and dietitians right to help heal or start to heal that relationship um, with yourself because that's essentially what it is right the relationship we have with ourselves because it's our food and it's our body Right. Yeah. And keep in mind that food companies literally hire both marketing people and people with backgrounds in psychology to know how to market certain types of foods to you. And I have a degree in food marketing, so I could literally go on about this for hours and hours, <laughs> but they know exactly what they're doing when they're, you know, selling you these diet cultures or like organic foods or non-GMO. Like they have spent mm -hmm. millions of dollars on research to figure out how we are going to react to that. So don't feel bad if you feel like you have no control over your food and know that it can get better. And mm -hmm. this is intentional on the part of a lot of these food and marketing companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Ashley, that we like haven't even touched on is sort of the yeah. marketing side of food and, and diet culture and all that stuff. But it is, it's like, I mean, that's why we were saying at the top of the episode, I think Em was saying it too, like that, it's just everywhere, right? It's coming at you from all different kinds of angles, not just the ones you would expect it to be coming from, like the Weight Watchers commercial. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's hard if you feel right now like you're inundated, but it absolutely can get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did want to touch yeah, on it really quick. It is possible quick. to ditch diet culture. 
<laughs> yes, a hundred percent. I did want to touch on really quick um, before we wrap you up here, Brittany. I saw on your website that you actually take insurance. I had no idea that mm. registered dietitians could take insurance. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think some people think that maybe getting an RD is like out of their budget or out of their reach. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I had this like tiny internal cringe when you said you went to my website because I'm currently getting it totally revamped. So I'm like, <laughs> it looks you amazing. Visit it for <laughs> oh, thank you. But I was like, visit it four weeks from now. But yes. Um, so I do take insurance. I currently take Blue Cross, Blue Shield and United Healthcare. I'm working on a couple others, um, but dietitians absolutely can take insurance. The reason it's not something that people think we can do or associate with us is because honestly, a lot of times it's just a lot of hoops to jump through and they never mention it to us in school. I think it was like a bullet point of one day on a PowerPoint that was like, insurance might cover CKD, like chronic kidney disease and next slide. Like there was nothing. So it took me a little while to learn that that was even an option for me. Um, so for my like one-on-one -on -one clients, um, I can do insurance billing for them if they have a carrier that I am credentialed with, or I can give them a super bill, which is like an itemized medical receipt that shows the procedures, the types of visits they had with me so that they can try to get reimbursement on their own if I don't take their insurance. So there's definitely ways to make working with a dietitian more cost-effective, um, but it just depends on if they have gotten credentialed or if they have like sliding scale like some therapists do. There's a lot of different ways that it may be affordable um, or more affordable than people picture. Um, but yeah, I do take some insurances. Um, I do also offer um, other like levels of support that are a little bit more budget friendly. So there's there's something for everybody as long as as long as you look, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely great yeah. to know, because I think yeah. that's why a lot of people turn to just like those free online resources or what I eat in a day videos or whatever, because they yep. think, oh, there's no way I could ever perform afford professional help. And it's the same with therapy, too. Right. Like people just don't know mm -hmm. that it could be covered by these insurances or FSAs or HSAs or whatever. So, yeah, that's definitely great to know. Yeah, that's a good call out too. like FSAs. FSA and HSA kind of cards will often work as long as the provider has indicated that they're a provider with Square or Stripe or whoever. Um, and yeah, I've had some patients or clients um, who have like unlimited visits covered with me. Like oh, they've been working awesome. with me for over a year and it's cost them zero dollars. So it's obviously that's not the case with everyone, but it can be more accessible than people expect. So I always tell people like, I mean, if you think you need help, at least reach out and see what the options are because you might be surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I had no idea when I saw that on your website, I was like, she takes insurance. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I just always yep. associate insurance with like, you know, going to the doctor. regular medical doctor. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much um, for yeah telling us a little bit about the insurance side of diet uh, dietitians, um, and also just thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing um, all about diet culture and wellness, and you know how to how to start to heal your relationship with food and your body, and we just so appreciate it. Um, for you for offering this perspective and we will definitely be having you back if you yeah. will come back yeah. sometime because i feel like we've scratched the surface on so many different things and we could probably spend another six hours talking about this just because it's so complex as we were saying but thank you so much Brittany. yes thanks, absolutely Brittany. thank you both so much for having me i feel like the more people we can expose these ideas to even if like we had mentioned they don't feel fully comfortable yet or they're not fully sinking in the better because like I wish I had learned about this stuff way sooner I would have sat in in my own mess with food and body for way less time if yeah. I just knew that this approach was an option and something that would actually help me so so yeah I just appreciate getting to chat with y'all and tell people what I do and mm -hmm. yeah it's been fun yes Absolutely. Do you want to tell people where they can find you, like your website and handles and all that good stuff? 
For sure. So um, my my handle on Instagram is fueled and well. So it's like F-U-E-L-E-D and well. Uh, my website is the same, fueledandwell.com. Um, if you visit it like early April, it'll look real fancy <laughs> compared compared to now. Um, but we are always all a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, in terms of, you know, if people are interested in working with me or just getting more access beyond what I do on social media, I do have, you know, a free community that c- they can join where I do some live trainings. Um, I do have a one-on-one and group program hybrid that's really cool. It's like helps walk you through all of the um, intuitive eating and diet culture and what is health at every size and and body image work like it walks you through all of that and you get one-on-one access to me so that's fun and that's that's open to people regardless of location and then I do take one-on-one clients in select states it just depends on licensure but that's something you can always reach out and ask me about too Cool. Awesome. Well, I will be reaching out to you for sure because I could use an RD a (laughs) hundred percent. Absolutely, Ashley. Yeah. Let me know. You can, we can get you in the community. You can watch the trainings I do. Like we can always be learning. So, so yeah, I'll share all that info with y'all in case you want to put it, you know, in the show notes somewhere or something. Um, so it's easy for people to find me, but yeah, everything is just fueled and well, nice and simple. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Brittany. And we will link all of her stuff down below. We'll put it on our Instagram, tag her, all that good stuff. And like we said, hopefully she will be back if she'll have us. Oh, we will be back for sure. (laughs) Thank you both so much for having me. This was great.